0: Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Uprood Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Mainstream dog training is constantly changing and evolving, yet remains disappointingly stagnant. Industry experts have effectively diminished aversive methods, which is great, yet there's still a population who rely on negative reinforcements. Why? By positioning conditioning methods as the only acceptable form of training in mainstream dog training, experts and scientists are unable to provide trainers and dog owners with a non-aversive effective method to supplement positive reinforcement training when it proves ineffective. Not all dogs learn the same way, and many dogs over the age of six months no longer resonate with positive reinforcement training. This is covered in season one. So if we continue to rely on reinforcements, that would leave negative reinforcements. In this episode, I talk about mainstream dog training, relying on the insistence of reinforcements, and I begin with a human example. The parents of a rebellious teenager choose to parent using techniques adhering to cognitive behavioral therapy as they do not feel positive or negative reinforcements are viable options. This allows for options for their daughter and a change in mindset that effectively changes her behavior. I then talk about how a positive reinforcement trainer and I work together to address leash reactivity to a squirrel in a tree. I talk about how the reliance on reinforcements, avoidance, distraction, and the acceptance of simply acknowledging your dog's behavior and learning to quote-unquote manage it has become acceptable in mainstream dog training and what this means to you and your dog. Just a quick reminder that the information in this entire podcast is in relation to dogs over the age of six months. We, what we need. We need more love. We. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for over three decades. So I'm going to start with the human example. 17-year-old Jade was caught sneaking out of her house at night and stealing her parents' car. Her parents, Tom and Leslie, had three options. Discourage the unwanted behavior by revoking her vehicle privileges and making her curfew earlier. Encouraging the wanted behavior by promising her a $10 raise and allowance for not sneaking out. Or thirdly, they could learn why she felt the desire to sneak out and make a plan based on that. They opted for number three. They learned she was meeting up with a group of kids who valued her and were nice to her. They made her feel needed. She was the getaway driver when they did petty thieving. From there, they could have revoked her license and car privileges or addressed the reason for the behavior, her desire to feel needed and valued by her peers. Her parents had wanted her to get involved in sports like the other children, but she did not like sports. So they gave up on sports and they're now choosing to recognize her like for music and dance. They gave her the option to join any music or dance course or class that she wanted, and she chose rap. Not their first choice, but they agreed. Jade attended the class, and Tom and Leslie continued to support her, even though she snuck out one night, but she decided on her own to come home before she met her friends. And her attitude overall was better at home and school. When she stopped sneaking out for a week, Leslie offered her a $10 bill, as promised, but Jade refused it. She didn't need it, and it made no sense to her to take it. Jade quickly learned wrapping was hard work and required physical and mental effort. Jade chose on her own to continue with the classes. Her efforts paid off, and the students were not nearly as badass as she had thought they would be or her parents had envisioned valued her songwriting abilities and choreography skills. Jade's attitude changed. She learned she didn't need to hang around the other kids or sneak out to be valued. So let's compare this to a squirrel in a tree. (laughs) I met with a qualified certified trainer with years of experience who adheres to positive reinforcement training methods. Of course, all trainers have their own way of doing and their own way of applying it, but I will use this example. Carrie's uh, is the trainer and the dog is Coco. And overall, of course, Coco's quite well-trained. So Carrie had Coco sit at the door. When she opened the door, she saw a squirrel in a tree. Coco didn't move and Carrie told her to stay. She attempted to give Coco a treat, but Coco refused to take it as she was watching the squirrel. This troubled Carrie. She took the refusal as an indication Coco wasn't listening or focused, or perhaps was uncomfortable or not relaxed. She knew Coco would react if the squirrel moved, so she brought her back a few feet into the home, and there's where she achieved a sit and a stay. At that point, the squirrel left their sight, and when this happened, Coco reacted, and Carrie attempted to give a treat to distract. Again, Coco did not take the treat, but settled as soon as the squirrel was out of sight. Carrie regained the sit-and-stay, and now Coco took the treat, which made Carrie very happy because it meant, in her mind, that Coco was focused and relaxed again. Carrie is using the act of taking the treat to determine the level of focus and relaxation. In fact, her goal was to get Coco to a point where she would take the treat. This is an interesting goal. Carrie missed the opportunity to continue to work with Coco while she was focused on the squirrel, because she was so obsessed with giving that treat. To accomplish this, she had to move away from the stimulus, and the stimulus had to leave. This is not always realistic and is essentially avoidance. Carrie also attempted to distract using the the treat, which can be effective and often necessary with puppies. However, it often falls short with dogs. They just refuse to be distracted. Avoidance and distraction have somehow become recognized and acceptable techniques. Industry experts recommend these when calm manageability or focus are unachievable. In fact, distraction and avoidance are proven to increase reactivity, especially with fearful dogs. They need to look at the stimulus. They need to be provided with the skill set that allows them to remain in the area with the stimulus and change their perception to change their behavior. Just because they're not taking the treat does not mean that they're not focused. They're actually focused on what we want them to be focused on. But are they listening to the skill set? Are they listening to exercises and commands? That is where we need to increase the skill set, not increase their need to take the treat. The need to rely on avoidance and distraction and the need to accept or succumb to simply having to manage. Exemplifies the inherent limitations of positive reinforcement training, not because it is ineffective and it is certainly not aversive, but it assumes the dogs do not know the behavior is wrong or that they do not have preconceived thought patterns. This is covered in season one of the podcast. All positive training is bonding, including canine enrichments and sports and jobs for dogs. All are bonding. My clients are constantly telling me how they have improve that relationship with their dog when they reach the cognitive side of the brain. Their dog looks to them for guidance. I find it interesting that mainstream dog training commonly includes teaching focus or look at me as commands. With canine cognitive behavioral therapy, an indicator that a dog is focused and relaxed is that they choose to look at us, either for guidance or acceptance. I don't teach the look at me or focus command. It happens naturally. So Carrie and I switched to upward dogology. Coco had a fairly strong established platform skill set simply because Carrie did a lot of work and she did canine enrichment, which reaches the cognitive side of the brain and teaches the idea of options, not in the same way as it's applied for therapy and rehabilitation, but just the idea of having options and working things through. Coco had the skill set and we were able to apply that to the squirrel. With most clients, they need four to seven days to establish these exercises, but we were pretty much able to do it right away. Coco chose on her own to leave the squirrel and continue to walk, and although we patted and praised her, these rewards weren't the reason she did the behavior. Her changed perception was the reason she chose to walk along. We creatively applied the skill set and the exercises to allow Coco to focus on the squirrel. Her brain was focused enough she could accomplish this without reacting. Her ability to accomplish these exercises while the squirrel was in sight meant that she was focused on both us and the squirrel. The exercises provided the indicator of her focus level. As with my clients, Carrie felt a stronger bond and a calmer manageability. And as she continued to increase her platform skills using exercises in the upper dogology formula, she had more options. This is how cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs works. So let's get back to Jade. She didn't take the money from her mom because she didn't see the correlation. She likes money and she was getting allowance and she got a cut from the petty thieving. So she is money motivated. But taking the money from her mom was not correlative to the situation. Leslie did not feel Jade was being rebellious. In fact, she saw Jade's unwillingness to take the money as a sign of progress. She was making decisions on her own that represented her ability to make good choices and to focus on the situation in front of her. She was not told it was wrong to meet friends or that she could not choose her friends, but she learned through options that she didn't need to do the behavior that she actually knew was wrong. She knew it was wrong to sneak out and steal the car, just as Coco knows it's wrong to react to a squirrel, or at least she knows that her mom didn't want her to do that. It is common to try to wean off treats or for trainers to separate themselves by claiming they do not use treats. They recognize the inherent limitation on relying on treats, or they realize their clients do not want to rely on che- treats. So sometimes they simply switch to another positive reinforcement trainer, as, such as a clicker, and then they combine that with a treat or a pat. And that's better than being stuck on one reward and debating which one is best or switching to aversive tools and methods, but essentially they're all adhering to conditioning methodologies and they're relying on rewards irrelevant of which reward they use. Conditioning methodologies are designed to rely on reinforcements. So when positive reinforcement is unsuccessful, it can rely to relying on negative reinforcements. Negative reinforcements are one half of operant conditioning and is therefore scientifically proven. It is also scientifically proven negative reinforcements can increase anxiety and aggression, cause emotional and physical harm, and lead to the emergence of other unwanted behaviors. I've known this for three decades. I don't need scientists to tell me this. Dog experts have incorporated non-aversive reactions that deter unwanted behavior. These are termed as positive correction and positive punishment, and that's good. Carrie applied some of these techniques, such as taking Coco farther away from the door in the squirrel. She considered that to be successful. Cognitive behavioral therapy would actually do the exact opposite. We provided Coco the ability to go closer to the squirrel. This commonly makes my clients uncomfortable until they see the difference in behavior. Dogs can do this without reinforcements. We rely on the skill set. That's the core of canine cognitive behavioral therapy. Dog experts are also admitting that relying on treats is not the best route. For example, when introducing a nervous dog to a guest and with the intention of the dog liking that person. I've never recommended this because many dogs like people giving them a treat, but they don't like that same person suddenly coming out of the bathroom. So it gives a false impression and it can fool people. Just because the dog took the treat doesn't mean that the dog's comfortable with everything that person does. As with Carrie, just because Coco did or did not take the treat did not change the behavior when the squirrel moved. So to meet the needs of dogs and dog owners wanting to integrate their dog into their life, to bond and communicate, proactively prevent behaviors without having to rely on puppyhood or patience, helping them overcome issues. We need to incorporate canine CBT into mainstream dog training. When people are unable to find solutions through mainstream avenues, it is common to source solutions elsewhere. This is not just with dog training. My clients find me either through referral or because they're looking for a solution that is non aversive and effective. They do not want to settle for avoidance or distraction or having to live with their dog's anxiety or aggressive tendencies through quote-unquote management techniques, nor is it fair to the dogs who do not want to feel fear or anger. If you're questioning why upward dogology is not mainstream, I encourage you to reach out to the influential experts and ask them. If they continue to dismiss solutions because they're not reinforcement-based or scientifically proven, it will be challenging to eliminate negative methods, provide effective solutions for dogs over the age of six months, and decrease surrenders and euthanasia due to behavioral reasons. Yeah, I wish I could hear what you're thinking. You can't see the words, but buddy, I'm listening. Just know that. You'll never stay mad. You're still my good boy. Thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your social media platforms or directly to dog lovers and those interested in the newest innovations in dog behavior. Big thanks to OpenStrum and Brian John Harwood for the music. They are both huge animal lovers. Please follow them and also follow Upper Dogology on social media. My Instagram account has loads of videos and also on Facebook and Twitter. And on LinkedIn, I'm Billy Groom. Please stay tuned for the second edition of my book, and please email me at billy at with any questions or comments. Enjoy your learning journey.